You're probably pine for casingles, you dumb hipster. <laughs> Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. She was known as La Alondra de la Frontera and La Gloria de Texas. De Tejas, I guess. And La Gloria de Tejas. The first superstar who paved the way for generations of Tejano musicians and fans. This week, we look at the remarkable life and music of Lydia Mendoza. But first, what's your favorite place to buy a record in Texas, past or present? Well, I'd say Bill's Records in Richardson, but I never actually bought a record there. I mostly bought CDs. But um, I do love to go into Half Price Books, and which is started in Texas, and I love to dig through their discount shelf. And uh, these days, I usually am looking for classic country or uh, deep cuts of yacht rock, like Airplay and uh, things like that. Now, there's the big store in Northwest Highway in Dallas has the best selection where you have the best uh, quarter and 50 cent records. Well, I'm just going to say, you know, back in the day, um, there was Sound Warehouse. And I like mm-hmm. that place because you could always preview your records and CDs. They'd, like, they'd actually take them out of the wrapper and let you listen to the song so you could decide. Yeah. But, you know, it was, uh, it was a way to preview because you couldn't preview it a lot of places. You just had to buy it and hope it was good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this is a little quaint to anybody, you know. Who's ever bought physical media? Who has never yeah. bought physical media? Yeah. <laughs> um, does Napster count? Because I kind of hated Napster. Um, I don't know. I guess uh, my favorite place was always uh, Hastings um, because that's where I got my first CDs. Uh, I guess got some cassettes there before that, but uh, I just remember buying my first CDs there in those uh, extremely wasteful uh, long boxes. Long boxes. Man. But the uh, uh, original uh, 1989 Tim Burton uh, Batman uh, soundtrack there. Well, just remember, kids, when you hear us old people talking about the good old days, you're totally wrong. (laughs) I can remember when cassettes sometimes came in long boxes, too. Yeah, you're probably pine for casingles, you dumb hipster. (laughs) For cassettes, it was always those long plastic things. Yeah, yeah. Big plastic tray. Oh, boy. See, they used to have these things called stores where you had to buy goods and services. <laughs> Couldn't just punch up an app on your phone. It's From like anywhere. the building where Amazon keeps all its stuff, except you had to actually go there. Yeah. To go there. And you had to buy things and put them in bags. Go home. And get off my lawn, you darn kids. And you had to, and you had to balance your CD player very precariously on your dash. So that it would, wouldn't skip when you were driving. No, I was thinking about it like cool people had a CD player. They could hold six CDs in their trunk. Yes, I had one of those. Lydia Mendoza was born in May 1916 in Houston to Francisco and Leonora Mendoza. From an early age, she was taught to play a variety of instruments by her mother and grandmother. When she was four, she built her own guitar out of wood, nails, and rubber bands. Her parents were migrant workers and musicians who traveled with the migrants to entertain them. The family, Lydia, her parents, and her sisters, performed on the streets and in the field as La Cuarteto Carta Blanca, named after the popular beer. 
they suffered from the same trials and difficulties that other Portejanos and Mexican immigrants endured. Lydia's grandchildren told of hearing a story about how she and her sisters were made to wash their hair at the border with gasoline to ensure that they did not have lice. There was little money to be made, but Lydia's singular talent very quickly made her the primary breadwinner of the family. In 1928, when Lydia was 12, her father responded to an advertisement in the San Antonio newspaper La Prensa looking for Spanish-language recording artists. This led to an audition in San Antonio for OK Records, which at the time was noted for traveling the country looking for folk performers of all kinds. They recorded 20 songs for $140, but Lydia's father didn't stick around long. The family traveled to Michigan and then back to Mexico as migrant workers. In the early 1930s, they returned to San Antonio and resumed performing, notably in the city's Plaza del Zacate, playing for tips. During the week, they earned 25 or 30 cents a day to cover food. On the weekends, they pulled in about $1.25 in order to cover their rent. In 1933, a Tejano broadcaster named Manuel J. Cortez heard Lydia singing in the plaza and was struck by the beauty and power of her voice. Cortez offered her a guest appearance on his radio show, Voz Latina, where she participated in a singing contest. She easily won by 35,000 votes. As a result, Cortez offered her a spot on his show for $3.50 a week. Mendoza recalled years later, With that $3.50, we felt like millionaires. Now at least we could be sure of paying the rent. It also led to another audition, this time with Bluebird Records. Lydia recorded four songs for Bluebird in the ballroom at the Texas Hotel for $60. One of these songs, a tango called Malambre, which Lydia wrote, would be the song which changed everything, and indeed, all of Tejano music. The words to the song are as powerful and soulful as any sung in any language. To have been written by an 18-year-old girl and sung with such passion and beauty is a testament to Mendoza as a songwriter and a performer. Many decades later, Lydia herself said about this and all of her songs, quote, It doesn't matter if it's a corrido, a waltz, a bolero, a polka, or whatever. Whenever I sing that song, I live that song. The words of the song Mal Ombre start off like this, and we'll read, a, read you a few stanzas so you can kind of know the story. Uh, but it is the story of a girl who was, who was done wrong by a bad man, a cold-hearted man. When I was still a young girl, when by chance you found me, and thanks to your worldly charm, you crushed the flower of my innocence. Later you treated me like all men who are like you treat women. So don't be surprised that now I tell you to your face that you are a cold-hearted man. Your soul is so wicked it has no name. You are a pig. You are evil. You are a cold-hearted man. Mal Ombre became one of the very first Tano hits in the country and made Lydia into a star becoming known as La Alondra de la Frontera, the Lark of the Border. She toured with her family throughout the Rio Grande Valley, performing as a soloist, while her sister sang as a group and performed a variety act. Discrimination against Mexican-Americans in West Texas forced the family to stay in private homes while on tour. They also avoided restaurants that posted signs warning, No Dogs or Mexicans Allowed. Mendoza's soulful, yearning voice and her skillful acoustic guitar playing resonated with her audiences. Among her early hits were Pero Hay Que Triste, But Oh How Sad, La Valentina, and Angel de Mis Angelos, Angel of My Desires. 
By the start of World War II, Mendoza was one of the most famous Spanish-language singers of the Texas-Mexico border region. In 1935, Lydia had married, and by the early 1940s, with the war on, she was tired of touring and performing, and retired to raise her three daughters. After the war, she resumed her career, attracting large audiences. Her re-entry into touring took her initially to the Cologne Theater in El Paso, and culminated at the Mason Theater in Los Angeles, where the 2,500-seat auditorium left hundreds of people turned away from the sold-out show. For the next several years, Lydia performed constantly throughout the United States, Mexico, and Latin America, rarely straying far for long from her beloved family. She played in concert halls and arenas, and in restaurants, dance halls, churches, theaters, and community centers. She never lost sight of her roots and of her own history, and her songs spoke to the struggles of the poor and the migrants. She became known as La Cancionera de los Pobres, the songstress of the poor. She kept the power of her voice and her magnetic stage presence, accentuated by a giant 12-string guitar and her elaborately decorated dresses, which she made herself. She had these for her entire career. To say Lydia Mendoza was profoundly influential was, if anything, an understatement. Tejano legend Flaco Jimenez described her voice as sounding, quote, like the stars falling from the sky. San Antonio accordion star Juan Tejeda compared her in importance with folk legends Lead Belly, Odetta, and sister Rosetta Tharp. Chris Strachwitz, owner of Arhuli Records, said, Lydia sang in the vernacular, which means in the people's way of singing, not the highly trained or theatrical performers. She sang like the Carter family, just their natural self, you know. Grammy-winning Tejano performer Joel Guzman was eight when he performed with Mendoza in 1964. She was about the story, he said. It was life-changing. It was a reckoning. She was an icon. She was somebody special. She wasn't trio music. She was her own orchestra. She was way ahead of her time. I feel she was a bridge to the modern era. In all, Mendoza recorded hundreds of songs and around 50 albums. Her career ebbed and flowed at times. In 1961, her first husband died and she remarried in 1964 and returned to Houston. She was discovered by a new audience when young white folk fans in the mid-60s took an interest in her music. Reportedly, she knew over 1,000 songs, both those she'd written as well as songs from her childhood and heritage. In 1977, she was invited by President-elect Jimmy Carter to sing at his inauguration festivities in recognition of her place in Tejano music. It's unknown when she received the nickname La Gloria de Tejas, the Glory of Texas, but this is probably as good a place as any. She continued to perform until she suffered a stroke in 1988 and retired to live with her daughter and grandchildren. In 1999, Lydia returned to the White House, where she was honored with the National Medal of Arts. At the ceremony, she shared the stage with Aretha Franklin, Steven Spielberg, Norman Lear, architect Michael Graves, and sculptor George Siegel. In his speech, President Bill Clinton said, Lydia learned much from the oral tradition of Mexican music that her mother and grandmother shared with her. In turn, she shared it with the world, becoming the first rural American woman performer to gather a large following throughout Latin America. Her grandson, Roger Hernandez, later said, how many people can say that they wash their hair with gasoline at the border and yet be recognized by the President of the United States for your life's work? Towards the end of her life, ill health often prevented Lydia from singing, but it didn't stop her from receiving constant honors. In 2001, she received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Folk Alliance International. 
In 2003, she was honored with the Texas Medal of Arts by the Texas Cultural Trust. She was also honored at a 2006 tribute concert in San Antonio. She was inducted into the Tejano Music Hall of Fame, Tejano Conjunto Festival, and Texas Women Halls of Fame. She died in 2007 at the age of 91. She was survived by her one living daughter, Yolanda Hernandez, and many grandchildren. Her obituary ran in papers around the country and around the world. In an article in the New York Times about her death, Lupe Sáenz, executive director of the South Texas Conjunta Association, said, quote, She set the trend for others. Las Hermanas Cantú, Chelo Silva, Las Rancheritas, and other women who followed Mendoza's lead in the world of Spanish music. She was further commemorated in 2013 when the U.S. Postal Service chose her to be the subject of the first stamp released as part of the Music Icon series. She was also featured in an episode of the 2017 PBS documentary series American Icons, where her grandchildren were interviewed. In a 2010 story featured on NPR, the late Salome Gutierrez, a Tejano music legend himself and owner of the Del Bravo record shop, spoke about Lydia Mendoza. Gutierrez had in his cherished possession Mendoza's guitar, her colorful stage dresses, and a neon frame photo of her from 1948. Gutierrez first heard her sing in a bull ring in Nuevo Laredo in 1950, and he said people went crazy. There were other female singing stars, he said, but for our people, Texas Mexicans, she was the greatest of all. Well, that's an incredible story about an incredible lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a what a great story. Um, I saw her on uh, this 2017 PBS documentary series, American Icons, just this weekend. And so very fortuitous because I was searching for a subject uh, for our, our show. And there there she was, the one of the greatest superstars of Tejano music. And I'm sure there's plenty of people listening in our audience who probably know her or fans of Tejano music. But as someone who's not as familiar with Tejano music, this was a very much an eye-opening experience to uh, to hear her music, to see her uh, and her speak, to see her grandchildren speak about her, uh, and uh, see others like like uh, folk historian and musicologist Richard Spottiswood talk about the importance of her music. So, uh, and in reading about her, it just, there's so many great stories about her and about her influence on people. And you just listen to that song and you just listen to it over and over again. It's so powerful. You don't have to even know the language to just know this is a, this is a heartfelt, uh, yeah, just tremendously, moving and harrowing song so i think she's great i think she's fantastic and and she deserves to be spotlighted and known more about by all texans and all all, everyone yeah i mean there's a a ton of uh emotion and just raw power in her her music Mm -hmm. yeah for an 18 year old girl that's pretty amazing that is awesome she lived a lot of life. I mean, they traveled around all over the place. And that was the other thing that was striking is that like the story of uh, the migrant workers, even even back in the first part of the, the last century, that, that you know, it, it illustrates that the, the border in, in, between Texas and Mexico is way more porous and way more, uh, way more, way less static than, than many people think it is or even that it should be. Yeah, and I like how her music, uh, you know, is all about, uh, like the one guy said, it's all about the story. It's it's mm-hmm. more than just, you know, here's a song for, 
the song's sake, it's uh, I'm, I'm telling a story with mm-hmm. my music. Right. She put the same level of energy and of of passion into the uh, uh, a performance for her family or for her friends at a restaurant in San Antonio as she did to singing for 20,000 people in, in Colombia or in Mexico or, or in, uh, in Cuba or anywhere else. So, you know, it was, again, like you said, it was all about the story. She, she lived her songs. She, she immersed herself in her singing and performing. Well, it sounds like an incredible lady. Be sure to go back and check it out. Maybe it's a classic piece of the catalog you don't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there is a there's a documentary about her. The Chris Strakovitz, the owner of Arhuli Records, did a uh, documentary back, I believe, in the seventies about, uh, or maybe the eighties, about her. And uh, you should go. It's I think it's on YouTube. You can find it. So check that out. Excellent. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Java 2 ends, And I'm Scotticus. You can also now find us on Instagram at Texas Podcast. You love the show, so do your duty and tell your friends to leave a review on iTunes because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you want to support the show financially, please head over to patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come-and-take-a-Texas ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. <laughs>